So I'm going to share with us this morning, and I'm going to start by um, praying, and I'm going to pray for us out of 1 Peter. And... So I'm going to pray for us out of 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 8. So God, I pray this morning that you will come and that you will minister to your body. That we will humble ourselves under your mighty hand, God. That you may exalt us at the proper time. God, I pray that we will cast all of our anxiety onto you because you care about us. God, I pray that you'll help us to be sober in spirit, to be on alert, to remember that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Help us, God, to resist the devil. Help us to be firm in our faith. We need you, God. We need you to help us. Open our eyes to see, open our ears to hear, open our mind to conceive who you are where you are and what you're doing, that we may be a part of it. Thank you that we're a part of the body of Christ, that we're not alone. And we pray for the body of Christ in our city, in our nation and around the world. For believers, we ask you to come Holy Spirit and strengthen us in Jesus name, amen. So I have a couple of things on my heart this morning that I'm going to share, and um, I want to start by saying Happy Father's Day to all the dads. We have some amazing dads in our community, and I want to give a shout out to my dad, uh, Bill Mathis, who um, is amazing, and I, um, I tease that he taught me how to fix anything with duct tape and hay string, but it really is true. Um, and. He also taught me to love horses and to get back on anytime I fall off. And um, that's really helped me in life. Because um, not only are the four-legged hairy kind of horses things you ride in life, but um, you get bucked off a lot in life. And getting back on is a, a great skill to have. So I'm really thankful for that. I'm also really thankful for Merle Gay, who is uh, the papa to my grandkids, to his grandkids, my children. and. Um, Travis's dad, um, Merle has loved me like his own daughter. I'm so thankful for Merle and Diane. Happy Father's Day to you guys and to Travis. He's so amazing. I spent um, a good bit of time this morning downloading old pictures of Travis and the kids and got all nostalgic. Um, it is one of my favorite things is to watch him love our kids and be a dad. And so I'm really thankful for you, Travis. Um, our kids are really fortunate to have you for a dad. And to all the daddies out there, happy Father's Day. Mamas, take an extra minute to hug your husbands and uh, kiddos, go give your dads a big hug. It's Father's Day. Um, so I'm gonna talk just a little bit about fathers and about the father and so there are ways in, in life that we know that we belong to our dads. Like, um, like if you look at my children, um, you know Zuri belongs to me. And 
and you know that Lydia belongs to Travis. Like they look a lot of similarities, you know? Um, and Josiah looks more and more like Travis every year. And, um, and we carry the last name of our dad. Um, there's just lots of ways that we know uh, who belongs to who. Um, our children know that they belong to us because that's all they've known. They are with us from the time they're born. Blake and Hannah welcomed a new baby um, just a few days ago. And so little Ezra joined them. And one of the first things Ezra saw was Blake. And so he will always know that Blake's his father on the earth. And then Blake will cart him around to soccer games and soccer practice and to movies and to church and to friends' houses and, and he'll teach him right from wrong. And, oh, look, there's Hannah. Um, so way to go, Hannah. Um, so we, um, so Blake will cart him around. He will grow up. He will become buddies and, um, and friends and there will be lots of adventure to be had between father and son, right? Just like there is between Travis and Josiah and the girls. And so our father in heaven, it's a little bit more tricky to know that people belong to the father in heaven. When we meet him, there are a lot of things that change about us. Um, sometimes we look different, we behave differently. There are different things that happen. But one true sign that you are son or daughter of the Most High God is that you're disciplined. And he tells us about that in Hebrews. And so on, it's not our favorite thing. It's like, oh gosh, like can't, can it be like because I get something nice or I'm, I'm a better person? Um, but really the sign that we are submitted to God and that he's our father is that we're disciplined. So I'm going to read... A little bit out of um, Hebrews 12 and I'm actually just kind of going to go through Hebrews 12 so if you want to turn there um, I'm gonna start at the beginning and read through it and then I'm gonna stop periodically and talk about some verses and I'm reading out of the NASB in Hebrews 12 therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So as children of God, our father set out to run as children of God, the father, we set out to run a race. That race is life. So there's a lot of people who have gone before us. And that's something I've been thinking about recently is all the people who have prayed for the times that we're in right now, who have, who have petitioned God to send his presence to the earth. And here we are, his presence is flooding the earth. 
And we intercede and petition God to flood the earth and our children and our children's children will walk on that path of our intercession. Sure. But right now we're walking on the path of the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. We're walking on the path of Abraham. Mm -hmm. We're walking on the path of our grandparents and everyone in between. It's a lot of intercession that has gone before us. So I just want us to take a minute and think about the way that this path has risen up to meet our feet. And it took much sacrifice for people to be persecuted, to die, and even more so to live in the persecution. And so that cloud of witnesses that it first talks about in Hebrews 12, that cloud of witnesses is very close to us. It's not this distant, far-off thing that we can't connect with. We can connect with it. Think about those people who prayed for you. Travis has a needlepoint that his grandmother did, and on the back of it is a prayer for him from his grandmother. That is the road rising up to meet our feet. That is the path that we are walking right now. So that cloud of witnesses were faithful. They were filled with intercession. And Jesus is writing a story. And throughout this time, he's been writing a story. And he's still writing the story until he returns. And who knows after that, because the book ends there, right? Then we go on into eternity where the story continues forever. So I don't want to say the story ends. But the part of us having to live on the earth ends. And we go on into eternity. But Jesus is writing a story, and he tells us in Hebrews 12 a little bit about our role in this story. Okay, verse 4. You have not resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have not forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges everyone, every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much shall we not much rather be subject to the Father in spirit and life and live? For for they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterward, yield peaceful fruit of righteousness. So this is the part I was talking about at the very beginning. He disciplines those he loves. Conviction of sin is our guide. It's our guide to healing. It's our guide to holiness. So we have to embrace the discipline of the Lord. So number one is in verse 2 and 3, it talks about how our role in the story, number one, is that we fix our eyes on Jesus and don't give up. 
Number two is we receive discipline. If we receive discipline, so it's different to be disciplined to receive discipline, right? So it's like, mm -hmm. you can just keep getting in trouble for the same thing over and over and over again. Or you can receive it and you can be corrected by it. And when you do receive discipline and are corrected by it, then you reap, in verse 11, it says that you reap, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Peaceful fruit of righteousness. Not self-righteous arrogance, but peaceful righteousness. I love that word. I want to be full of peaceful righteousness. So then in verse 12, this is kind of my, this is what drew me to this passage originally. Um, I feel like in the times we're in, this passage is just really important, but I think it applies to so many areas of life. So I'm going to read verse 12 and 13. Therefore, so therefore, meaning because you've been disciplined, Strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. So there are limbs in the body of Christ that are weak. And if we are in a strong place, then we need to uphold so that that limb can find its place and not be cut off, but healed. So we don't want that limb to be put out of joint. We want it to be healed. This is time for the body of Christ to, because we're sons and daughters of the Most High God and have been disciplined and have the peaceful fruit of righteousness, we can strengthen the limbs that are weak. How do we strengthen the limbs that are weak? Well, it's really great that we ask because he goes on to talk about that. It says, not only are they strengthened, they are healed. So healing is very important in this process. It says, pursue peace with all men, verse 14, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God and no root of bitterness springs up causing trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral, godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, but sought for it with tears. So it says here, Esau really regretted what he did but he had no place for repentance. So he could not find the blessing. We have to have a place for repentance in our life and not let any root of bitterness spring up. Giving grace and having no place for bitterness. So, and um, I wanna talk just a little bit about bitter roots and judgment. Um, in Matthew 7, verse 1, it says, Judge not that you not be judged. So what's that saying? It's saying, if I judge you for something, then eventually I'm going to be judged for the very same thing. So if I judge you for being mean to the elderly, then eventually I'm going to be mean to the elderly. That's just, that is a law of God. So judgment has taken on 
a very similar um, picture as being critical. And so I want to talk about the critical spirit that happens in the bitter root and judgments in our life. So when we're critical, we're, we become vindictive and cruel. So it, one of the red flags for me, and when I'm being critical of someone, it's a red flag and I need to get my, that's, it's where the Lord gives me his discipline. So when I realize I'm being critical, then the Holy Spirit says to me, hey, Jessica, that's not like me. And you're a daughter of God. Be like me. That's the discipline of the Lord. And when I receive it, I can produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So if I don't receive it, then I become critical and vindictive. I become full of myself. And I become a, like I'm a superior person, which is pride. And when the superior person steps into a conversation or into a room, there's no room for anyone else but you. And so um, Travis and I talk about this often is in marriage, um, you know, Travis may do something that frustrates me, not very often, but just like once in a while. Um, <laughs> so um, he may do something that hurts my feelings. Now he really, I don't think he's ever intentionally done something to hurt my feelings where he's just like, hmm, I just feel like fighting. I think I'll just hurt Jessica's feelings. So he'll do something and I'll say, that hurt my feelings. And so maybe his first impulse is to be like, well, I didn't hurt your feelings. Well, maybe he didn't mean to hurt my feelings, but the truth is my feelings are hurt. And so the superior person will say, because I didn't mean to hurt your feelings, I didn't hurt your feelings. The humble person that has been disciplined by the Lord will say, how did that hurt your feelings? That's a question that's taken the low road that has no pride in it. And so then I can share, well, hurt my feelings because you didn't ask me about this and I really wanted to be included. Oh, I didn't know you wanted to be included. So it's a miscommunication. Travis is really quick to repent. So those conversations we've learned over the years how to fight well. So um, he'll say, you know, I'm really sorry I didn't include you. So repent and forgive. I'll forgive him. We do this back and forth all the time. This is something we teach to our children. This is something that we need in our homes to start with. And then we need to take this into our city, into our churches, into our workplaces, into all the places that we encounter, all the people we encounter. We need to listen. We need to ask questions. We need to repent and we need to forgive. And that's how we will live without bitter roots. But if we become a superior person, critical, then there won't be any room for other people in a conversation. There's only room for our own voice. So, to, um, so part of the story is that we give grace and avoid bitterness. 
And then in verse 24, I'm going to skip down a little bit. In verse 24, it says, And to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Jesus has to be the mediator. He has to be the mediator. So just like the conflict I talked about with Travis, or a conflict with my children, or a conflict with a close friend, or a conflict within myself, or a conflict on a larger scale, Jesus has to be included in the conversation. You have to bring Jesus into the conflict because he's the mediator and it's his blood that makes us clean. Not our own explanation. We can't teach ourselves all these new things. We have to have the blood of Jesus. So as a part of the story, in this last part, everything, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. So listen to this, verse 25. See to it that none of you refuses him who is speaking. For if those did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. He's warning us. This is a warning. We should have our ears really perked up. And his voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised saying, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression once more denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. So if we have some created things, I love this, created things. We create problems. Just like my example with Travis, if a lot of times if I was more, if I was not having an internal struggle, then what he does won't hurt my feelings. So I have to remember that a lot of the struggles I have, I create those. We create a lot of struggles in our life. So I love that it says the created things will be shaken. And what will remain is the kingdom of heaven. And right now in our earth, there is a lot of shaking. But what will remain is the kingdom of heaven. And so the shaking can be scary, but we have to remember this very last part, the end of the story. In verse 28, therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So the end of the story is that God is a consuming fire. All and reverence be, belong to him and him alone. Our attention is not to be distracted by anything else. The battle between good and evil is very real. And Tuesday night at small group, Megan was sharing with us about deliverance. We had a great time here talking about deliverance. And one thing that she reminded us of is that the battle between God and Satan 
is not like a superhero movie where the bad guy and the good guy have equal powers and it's just chance of who's gonna win. And it comes down to the final scene and you don't know if it's gonna be Thanos or Iron Man. It's not like that. That's a movie and it's entertaining. But Satan bows at Jesus. Amen. Evil bows at Jesus' blood. He paid the ultimate price. So we have to remember, as sons and daughters of God, our Father has already paid the ultimate price. He paid for us. He paid for us with his Son. And Jesus went to hell and took the keys. And he ascended to heaven. End of story. Evil is not the winner. And it's not a it's not a neck and neck fight. Satan bows to our Father in heaven. So if he's superior, then why is there so much evil in the world? The reason there's so much evil in the world is because we're agreeing with Satan and we're becoming that superior person and we're letting judgment and bitterness reign in our hearts. And so we have to stop agreeing with evil with our words and our deeds. So remember in verse 12, where it talks about strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble, make straight the path for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Salvation costs God. It didn't cost us. It just cost God. It cost him Jesus. But laying down our life and taking up the cross daily isn't easy, and it will cost us every day. Holy Spirit is the only one in position to criticize. He shows us what is wrong and without hurting us, without wounding us, and he's the only one who can. So, like I said, we've got to get Jesus in these conversations. We have to be interceding, just like those who have gone before us interceded. We have to intercede. We have to bring prayer into all of our conversations. If we are eager to talk, we should stop and pray. Stop and ask God, will you convict me of sin, judgment, and righteousness? It's a powerful prayer. I challenge all of us to pray it. God, convict me of sin, judgment, and righteousness. It will change our life. And then go into our conversations, eager to know your neighbor, to know your child, to know your partner, to know your parent, whomever it may be that you have a hard time with, be eager to bring the peaceful fruit of righteousness into that relationship. So Travis is gonna join us. Why don't you come sit with me? Do you have anything? Well, thank you all for joining us this morning. I'm going to pray for us. 
Holy Spirit, we ask you to help us. We ask you to help us have courage. Convict us of sin, judgment, and righteousness. And in any ways that we have placed ourselves as a superior person with a critical, vindictive, cruel, full of self position, I ask that you bring us to the cross. That we will daily take up our cross and follow you. That we will daily lay our life down. Thank you for paying the ultimate price, God. For giving Jesus. Thank you that you win. That God wins. There in your home, just say, God wins. God wins. God wins. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is not a neck and neck battle. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against the devil and evil. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you for healing the weak limbs mm -hmm. and not letting them come out of joint. Yes, God. And God, when I am the weak limb, I thank you for the body of Christ that brings healing to me and helps me stay in place. Mm -hmm. Thank you, God, for the body of Christ that surrounds me to lift me up. Make us those people, God. The Aaron and her that will hold the arms up of Moses. Mm -hmm. That will hold our friend's arms up. Right. You've given us everything we need, God. To live life for you. We want to be a part of your story. Just like the cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. I'll just say one real quick thing is just that, you know, Jessica was talking about the Father disciplines us, and, you know, in this uh, day and age, and we're, you're just probably going to hear us hammering this home a lot, is about there's so many narratives out there that now more than ever, we need to know what the Father is saying. And this is, this is the way that we discover the Father's heart is through what he has already spoken and what he will speak to us as we read it. Things that we never knew, mysteries and, and understanding. And so our encouragement, just like the, um, the past few weeks, is, is get in the Word, spend time in the Word, listen to it, read it, um, and and. Just take time to know what Father has said, what He is saying, and He's and how He's going to give you specific things for your life. I mean, He's been speaking to me um, so clearly these past few weeks about how I'm to approach um, the current situation our nation's in as a as a pastor and as a and just as a father and husband. And so He does; He'll do the same thing. For, for anybody that seeks after his voice and wants his counsel. And it go, it comes through the word and then he just will expound upon what he has already said and, and, and things that don't contradict his word, but just simply bring greater understanding and application to your life. So read the word, get, get, get the father's narrative above 
um, any other narrative because you're not going to stand before men one day. You're going to stand before Jesus Christ. And so you don't want to um, be in that position of listening to somebody else's narrative besides God. So. So a little action point for you as we end. Um, if you're watching with others um, after we stop, you could ask one another, who are the people in the body of Christ that are holding you up, that when you're weak, that they're helping you find healing, are praying for you, are supporting you, the people who are willi willing to tell you when you're wrong with love. Who are those people in your life? Um, also, who are the people that you're holding up that you're willing to let them be wrong and stay in relationship? I mean, whether they are or not, but you are, you're willing to stay in the room and you're praying for God to come and show himself to these people to bring healing that you're not you're not running away because it's scary or your perspective is not understood. Who are you staying in the room with? Who are you upholding? So two groups of people in your life, both are really important. So um, so talk with the people around you. Um, if you have children, this is a good question for them as well. Who are the people you're praying for? Who are the people who are praying for you? And it's just that simple whenever you're four and five years old. And as we get older, we realize we need people to help us not fall out of joint. But um, for our little children, that um, is a great way to start.